Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Anne McElvoy, Senior Editor. And on the menu this week... Hollywood's big stars lose their sparkle, the thrills of becoming an animal and how jogging can stave off cancer. But first, Brexit, bad for Britain, Europe and the West, was our cover line this week. After David Cameron returned, all pumped up from Brussels with a reform deal tucked under his arm, the starting gun was fired on a national referendum asking whether Britain should stay in or leave the European Union. The latter, we argued, would be bad news for all, and not just for Britain. Betting markets put the odds that Britain's opts to leave at two to one. Some polls suggest the voters are evenly split. Several cabinet ministers are campaigning for Brexit. There is a real chance that in four months' time, Britain could be casting off from Europe's shores. The economy would take a pounding certainly in the short term. As financial markets woke up to the prospect, the pound this week fell to its lowest level against the dollar since 2009. And the country wouldn't be safer by shutting itself off from the mainland. It would imperil Britain's security when threats from terrorists and foreign powers are at their most severe in years. And far from reclaiming sovereignty, Britons would be foregoing clout by giving up membership of a powerful club whose actions they can influence better from within than without. So though the decision is a national one, we maintain that the fallout would be global. Poorer, less secure and disunited, the new EU would be weaker. The West, reliant on the balancing forces of America and Europe, would be enfeebled too. Politics is often viewed as a game to be played with strategy and intrigue until a victory is secured. Conversely, games can also be used for political ends. An article in our China section this week explained how the country is buying up foreign football players and not just to improve its lacklustre performance on the pitch. In recent weeks, the country's football clubs have been on their biggest ever spending spree – signing up foreign talent for sums which, by Asian standards, have been jaw-dropping. The reasons for the splurge are in part pragmatic. A year ago, a committee charged with overseeing wide-ranging economic and social reforms turned its attention to an area of great concern in the football-loving nation, its dismal performance in the game. But President Xi Jinping, who's championing the cause, has ulterior motives. Mr Xi sees the game as a useful tool of diplomacy. His overseas visits often involve football-related events. But China's league is still a long way from exerting the kind of soft power that the English Premier League bestows upon Britain. Ask any taxi driver in China. But while Mr Xi may dream of China winning the World Cup... England itself has no blueprint for that. 
our international section took a look at some blueprints for an energy revolution in the developing world. Power may be taken for granted for many, but not everywhere is connected to the grid. That may be about to change, as our article explained. Imagine a country the size of India without power. Its economy would be medieval. Tailors without electric sewing machines, metal workers without power lathes, farmers without water pumps. Well, as it turns out, there's no need to imagine such a country. This is reality for 1.1 billion people globally, not far short of the population of India. The biggest numbers are in rural southern Asia and sub-Saharan Africa. Luckily, though, a light bulb moment is in the offing. Much as mobile telephony has helped the poor leapfrog landlines and bricks-and-mortar banking services, a handful of tech-savvy entrepreneurs are seeking to provide widespread access to clean, cheap energy with local systems, metered and paid for by mobile phone. Not just a spark of genius, the prospect is environmentally kind too. They hope to vault electricity grids, harvesting solar energy beamed down onto rooftops rather than using fossil fuels and connecting it to batteries to store the energy until nightfall. As rural parts of the developing world plug in and flicker on, a shadow is descending over the bright stars of the film industry. As an article in our business section explained, Hollywood's big names are failing to pull in the numbers like they used to. Overall, the cinema business's health seems as rude as ever. Thanks to droves of new filmgoers in China, where the market grew by 49% last year, global revenues increased by 4%, to $38 billion. But it's special effects heavyweights that are profiting rather than famous names. Franchises like Fast and Furious, Avengers, The Hunger Games, Jurassic Park, James Bond and Star Wars led a group of 14 films with more than $500 million each in worldwide box office takings last year. And such productions are more likely to make stars than to be made by them. You really don't want to have a movie star in certain big franchises, says a senior studio executive. The films will be hits either way, so why pay more? But some of his peers are still starstruck. Hollywood executives still want to believe in stars' power to get bums on seats, so they will bet again on a headliner, even after a few flops. Such confidence is not so abundant in the world of stocks and shares at the moment. And as a leading article in our finance section reported, discontent is rife in the system. The brokers who traded shares in the Tontine Coffee House in 18th century New York often resorted to stronger drink, leaving them a little addled, according to one contemporary account. Granted, trading is a more sober affair these days, well, mostly anyway. But more than 200 years later, investors in American equities still wonder whether they are really receiving decent service. Investors worry that in many cases, competition has brought down the visible price of trading by adding hidden costs. Two anxieties are swirling around. One is the worry that the current setup of the markets allows high-speed traders to anticipate big orders and front-run them, moving prices in an unfavourable direction before an order can be executed. The other is a concern with the sturdiness of the system. With regulators still unable fully to explain events like the flash crash of 2010, 
when the Dow Jones Industrial Average plunged by 9% in minutes before rebounding. Some things just are tricky to explain, a sentiment you might share after reading a review in our Books and Art section. A new book delves deep into nature, trying to understand what it is to be an animal. But this author takes animalism to a new level, the ground. Charles Foster, a writer and barrister who qualified as a vet and has a PhD in medical law and ethics from Cambridge, doesn't just investigate the taxonomical differences with humans, he attempts to overcome them. Yes, it's a bestializing journey from the cleanliness of the courtroom to, well, filth. This means eating rubbish from bin bags, as an urban fox would do, living in a set as a badger, cowering naked on a moor as a red deer, and launching himself, fully clothed, into a river, pretending to be an otter. Probably he wasn't facing much competition on those fronts. But little writing is reserved in the book for the beauty of his subjects. Because who needs to read that? Readers know that a badger is handsome. What they do not know is what worms taste like. Since you ask, it's like wine, apparently, once you get past the slime. Each worm has its own individual terroir. After due reflection at The Economist, we just decided to take his word for it. We finished with a quick flick over to our science section where good news awaits. Plenty of evidence now suggests that a bit of exercise each day can keep cancer away. And as an article reports, researchers have finally found out why. A team led by Pernil Hooman at Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark has reported in Cell Metabolism that the key to the mystery is adrenaline. In a study, some cancerous mice were allowed to exercise while others were not. They found that the tumours in animals which had had access to a running wheel were 61% smaller after six weeks than were those in mice that had been unable to exercise. And a glance under the microscope gave the team some answers. Those from well-exercised mice contained more immune cells than equivalent tumours from inactive animals. No excuse for dusting off our old running shoes, then. I'm Anne McElvoy, jogging out of the studio, and that was our tasting menu. If you're hungry for a little more, you can find all of our stories on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.